Today's sponsor is Sean Clausen Coop, co-author of Building a Better World in Your Backyard, instead of being angry at the bad guys. I recently interviewed Sean about the book, and think if you're already practicing permaculture, it's a great source of inspiration to turn your energy into steps you can take each day towards achieving your goals, whether you live in the city, suburbs, or countryside. Inside, you'll find ways to grow more food, reduce your energy needs, and live a more comfortable, bountiful life. Building a Better World in Your Backyard is also a good introduction for others to the ideas of permaculture. It's on my short list of books I'd recommend to anyone wanting to introduce their friends and family to what this permaculture thing is all about. Learn more about the book and pick up a copy today at buildingabetterworldbook.com. If you'd like to share your book, class, or project with the world on the Permaculture Podcast, find out how you can join the family of sponsors, thepermaculturepodcast.com slash advertise. For those of you who entered to win a copy of Sean's book, those four randomly selected winners have been chosen and contacted. I also selected and contacted the winner for Nigel Palmer's book, The Regenerative Grower's Guide to Garden Amendments. Thank you to everyone who entered, and hear who won at the end of the episode. This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann. In the United States alone, more than 38 million tons of food is thrown away every year. 94% of that winds up in landfills to rot and release methane and lock all those nutrients from being returned to Earth for future fertilization. As permaculture practitioners, the principles set forth by David Holmgren and beautifully detailed at permacultureprinciples.com implore us to use and value renewable resources, to catch and store energy, and produce no waste. These principles lead us to a strategy to refuse, reduce, reuse, repair, and recycle. In the context of the food system, we refuse to create additional waste by not buying food we won't eat or use. We reduce our waste by saving and eating leftovers from our table, taking any unfinished portions home from a restaurant, or donating excess canned goods to a food pantry. We reuse our food by taking ingredients from one dish, such as leftover rice, and turning it into something new, like fried rice or rice pudding. As things can easily go awry in the kitchen, we can learn to save dishes that at first seem over-seasoned, too spicy, too thick, or too thin. After all of this, if we do have food that needs to go into the bin, we can recycle what remains. If we have a homestead, that could include feeding the waste to our animals or placing it into our compost pile. A compost pile, however, requires space, maintenance, and additional materials that may not be available to everyone. This is especially true for those of us living in smaller or urban spaces. With these concerns in mind, I'm joined today by Matt Arthur of BLH Farm to introduce us to Bokashi, a form of anaerobic composting that destroys human pathogens, preserves nutrients and biomass, and which we can use to increase soil fertility and health. Bokashi is also inexpensive to implement and can be used whether you live in an apartment, on a homestead, or a farm. Enjoy this conversation with Matt and I'll join you again after. Matt, can you give us a bit of your biography and background, how you came to farming, and then we'll dive into this discussion about Bokashi fermentation. Absolutely. I grew up on a farm in central Missouri, a row crop farm growing a variety of crops, corn, soy, wheat, sorghum, main ones. Uh, For a brief time, we had cattle grazing the land also. So I grew up in an agricultural community, and left the farm for college and almost immediately 
wanted to get back and, and get back into agriculture hands-on. Uh, my wife and I had planned to start a small farm ourselves. And while we were looking at various spots to find land, we realized that the land that I'd grown up on would be perfect. So uh, four years ago, we moved back to Missouri and began transforming a unused hay field into um, permanent raised beds to do cut flowers, herbs, and some vegetables. When we were looking at the soil quality and, and um, thinking about how to get fertility and biology back into the soil, we were pretty unhappy with the quality of the commercial compost available in central Missouri and realized that to have the quality inputs we wanted in the system we wanted, we'd have to make our own, our own compost. So we started a side project gathering residential food waste in St. Louis to make our own compost. And within oh, six or nine months, we went from traditional thermophilic hot composting to bakashi fermentation as the main composting method. And we're huge fans of what it does for the soil, huge fans of the system itself, and, and really proponents of bakashi as a way that individual households can transform food waste into a soil amendment that's directly usable by plants um, and avoids the pitfalls that we see a number of backyard thermophilic systems have. And that's why I was interested in speaking with you is, you know, I had done the kind of standard thermophilic backyard composting, starting with a compost bin, like one of those little composting machines that was provided as part of a program through our local master gardeners in Pennsylvania. From there, moving into larger bins, bigger piles. But I found that after a while, I just wasn't managing it well. And so just let things rot. And that's where, you know, anything we can do to improve this process is really appreciated. So could you share with us how Bokashi is different from these piles that we might be building, mixing our browns and greens? Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk about the pitfalls we see in backyard piles also, but um, I think highlighting the differences in the approaches is a great step. So Bokashi means fermented waste. It's a, a method that comes out of East Asia, uh, very prevalent in Korea and Japan. Rather than using aerobic microbes to break down the food waste with additional carbon, as in a thermophilic pile, where you're taking a nitrogenous waste source, typically kitchen waste, and adding a very carbon-rich input stream, such as shredded wood or leaves, and then letting aerobic microorganisms cycle the carbon, uh, really do breakage of carbon chains, leading it to heat to hopefully 130 degrees plus with regular turning, which is what a, a thermophilic pile requires. With Prakashi, you're using anaerobic microbes in a sealed container without air that ferment the food waste over a period of two to three weeks. And the fermented food waste is then typically buried into the soil in the root zone and the soil microbes finish the, the decomposition in place. So it's a completely separate process. The microbes at work are, are, are totally different, the output's totally different, and the timeline's totally different. Bakashi was developed originally as a way of making agricultural waste suitable for use in or on the soil. So uh, rice hulls, 
other large scale byproducts of the, the food stream. And it was developed in the 70s and 80s by the University of Tokyo into a method of, of processing residential food waste from very dense urban centers for use in agricultural zones. And so typically you have a, a bran, either wheat bran, which is what we use being in a wheat growing area, or another carbon rich bran that you inoculate with a set of microbes that have been standardized and known as effective microbes to trademark mix of lactobacillus that produce acid, yeast, and some anaerobic fungi. Those are added to the substrate, typically um, in batches of five gallons to 500 gallons. And once the substrate's colonized, very small amounts of that can be used in commercial or home bakashi systems. You take your sealed container, layer your food waste with a thin dusting of, of the brand that carries the microbes, seal it. As long as there's no air present, there's no way for aerobic decomposers to take hold. So the think of your kitchen countertop crock full of food waste that's slowly rotting in the presence of air. That's avoided. You begin a very active fermentation process where the lactobacillus dominate early. The medium becomes very acidic down to the high threes in pH. The acidity knocks out the aerobic microbes that we want to avoid, also knocks out the human pathogens that might be on your food, you know, listeria, salmonella. And then once the lactobacillus have finished, the secondary fermenters take over, so the yeasts and the fungi. And over the next, say, week and a half to two weeks, the container becomes pretty, pretty well fermented. When you take the lid off after the two to three week period, a very strong smell of, you know, fermentation. So akin to um, a strong kimchi or a stale beer, or rye bread, something like that. And the waste stream has become drier because the lactobacillus produced a lot of liquid from the cells of the food waste. Throughout the process, you're draining the liquid periodically. So you have a fairly dry, more compact fermented waste that is very easily broken down by soil microbes. So we encourage people to take a section of their garden bed, like a checkerboard pattern, you might have a two foot by two foot area that would be enough for four pounds of the, uh, the finished bakashi. Over the next two to three weeks, you'll see the soil microbes completely digest that. So your fermented food waste then is consumed by existing soil microbes, becomes a, a very organic matter rich medium for your, your plants to tap into during the growing season. Aerobic composting is fantastic. We use it at some scale on the farm. We probably have a couple thousand pounds of food waste and added carbon in hot piles at any point in time. But it's a, a, a process that needs some scale to be effective. Typically, the U.S. Composting Council suggests no less than a cubic yard of waste material with added carbon for a hot pile. There is a sheer minimum mass required for piles to get hot. And that's where we see most of the failures in backyard piles. The typical tumbler or molded plastic backyard bin uh, is often right around a yard, usually a little bit less than a cubic yard. So for it to be effectively aerobic and hot, you would need to fill it all at one go with the proper mixture of carbon and, and food waste. So 
a 30 to 1 carbon to nitrogen ratio, which requires homeowners to have a stockpile of carbon, um, double shredded wood chips, shredded leaves, a lot of shredded office paper, something that's carbon rich and available throughout the year. So the stockpile of carbon be added to the food and mixed and watered. If that were done, it is possible to have the backyard commercial bins heat and stay aerobic long enough to break it down. But typically adding the typical household waste stream in, we usually see seven to 10 pounds of food waste per week for an average household. You just don't have the mass required to get true aerobic composting. You really get putrefaction or just rotting of your food. And we also see failures in the mix. Carbon is an absolutely essential component of aerobic composting because you're really cycling carbon with the presence of the nitrogen and the food waste. Without enough carbon, you just get you just get rotting. You get the ammonia smell. You get the the, the kind of ammonia rich leaching. Regardless, depending on your season, you will have a season where insects are finding it a very suitable home. And for an aerobic bin, really, no matter how small your side mesh is, uh, it's still perfectly suitable for insect habitat. So in Missouri, in June, our soldier flies colonize the piles. That's that's fine. They're great decomposers, but it can be off-putting for homeowners to go to the pile and see nothing but a three-foot square writhing mass of maggots. Houseflies also think they're home. Um, possum, raccoon, fox, snakes, mice, right? Those all find it great environment, particularly, particularly in the spring and fall when it's warmer than the surrounding ground. And all these things make it a real challenge for homeowners to effectively hot compost. That said, Three bin systems, if you have the right waste stream, can be incredibly effective, particularly if you're willing to turn regularly in water in the dry months. So I don't, I don't want people to be turned away from aerobic composting. I just want to highlight that Bakashi is always effective. You can always ferment in a closed container. And we often recommend people just ferment their waste stream in the house. If they have a backyard bin, add the Bokashi to the backyard bin, the pre-fermented food waste breaks down very evenly and the fermented food is much less attractive to the typical small mammal scavenger than raw food waste is. And it stays in the, in the pile much shorter time. So your, kind of your window of problems is dramatically compressed by fermenting at first. Ideally, we would bury it into the soil once it's fermented so that it's available for plants in the root zone you know, directly without the intermediary of a hot pile. But for people who really enjoy hot piles and they might be composting, you know, yard waste or other bulk materials, having the Bakashi be a component in that mix is a great addition. Uh, whereas mm, we see a lot of problems with raw food breaking down unevenly or attracting scavengers. I, I also want to note that hot piles produce a lot of carbon gas. So a lot of methane, a lot of other Carbon gases come out of the hot piles because you are cycling carbon through, whereas fermenting your food waste, you're not breaking into the carbon chains. You're, you're really doing a very aggressive pickling or technically fermenting of the food waste. So there's no, there's no carbon released in, into the atmosphere if you're doing, um, as you have when you're doing hot piles. So you don't have a lot of outgassing from your anaerobic system? There's, there's really none. I mean, it's a seal, the container's airtight. So we know through the, indoor process, there's no off-gassing at all. Um, the buckets don't expand. You're not seeing the bloating. 
it's a liquid rich fermenting that you're doing. And the, I think the real gain is that the nutrients in the food that we're particularly concerned about mineralization of soil. So all of the minerals in your food and all the other elements in your food are incorporated directly into your soil for your next round of crops, be they ornamentals or vegetables. When I was picturing this, I was imagining something more like when I'm making beer or wine or meat at home that I'd have an airlock on the container to release gases as they come out. But it sounds like you're using a sealed system. It's sealed with the exception of a, a spigot to let liquid out. So rather than a, a shuttlecock or a, a top valve at the top to let gas out, you have a bottom spigot to let liquid out. And it's not a, a bubbly, uh, gas-rich liquid. It's a, it's a very thick, viscous liquid. And the reason for that is that you can't ferment food that's sitting in liquid. So you just keep draining off the bottom so that the effective microbes can work their way down to the sack and, and ferment the very bottom layer as well. And can you use that liquid that you're pulling off as a fertilizer in your garden? Yeah, you can. You can. And there's a lot of research going into that right now. Um, I was on the phone last week with a, a vertically integrated agricultural company that processes millions of tons of onions a year. I mean, they're doing hundreds of thousands of, of pounds every day. And um, they're actually experimenting with Bokashi leachate, the liquid from Bokashi, as an amendment for their farm partners. The idea being that filtering down to say 200 microns to take out solids still leaves in the active microbes and then they'll pump it through their irrigation system so they can fertigate, you know, fertilize through irrigation to put that biology back into the soil. So we're watching that. We're very interested. On a home scale, we suggest diluting, say 50 to 1, particularly early stages when lactobacillus are dominant. It's pretty acidic. So dilute it so that you're not burning the plants right at impact. Once it's on or in the ground, the soil microbes make it pH neutral really quickly. So dilute it. Obviously, acid-loving plants, you can dilute less. So hydrangea, blueberry, right? The common backyard acid lovers um, appreciate that. Other plants, uh, we do 50 to 1, and, and we put it around the root zone of our orchard. We put it uh, on our beds as a matter of course. We suggest that the first one or two times you drain liquid, you would consider disposing it if you're if you're bakashiing, say chicken or spinach, things that do carry human pathogens. You want to make sure that the acids had time to render those non-viable. But after the first one or two, rather than just pour it down the drain, um, yeah, dilute it and, and spread around your your yard or or garden beds because it does contain you know a very high level of the effective microbes that we see uh, benefiting plant health. And for that first pool that might contain human pathogens, you can still return that material to the soil, but you just need to do it in a place where it wouldn't come in contact with food for human use. So you could still put it on like a lawn or unused field. When we think of the home scale, we think most people are, are growing vegetables and raised beds. And so we're just having an abundance of caution and suggest that just as they wouldn't put non-composted material from salad mixes or other things that, that are water-rich that might contain pathogens. They wouldn't put, you know, non-fermented, non-fully fermented things there either. But, you know, for your non-vegetable growing areas, uh, there's no harm to it. And, and it, it, existing soil microbes compete with the pathogenic bacteria anyway. So there's really no, no harm in that. Um, there's no need to, to waste it. But if you are working at, on a kind of a maximum microproduction scale in your house, 
just consider that as you would avoid putting other potentially unsafe material, you know, the first one or two you might put elsewhere. And you mentioned chicken. Does that mean you can use bokashi to compost meat? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and we do at some scale. We, we collect over a thousand pounds of food waste a week from households and we bokashi all of it. And after a two to three week fermentation, the meat is just as fermented as anything else is. In fact, typically the only things we see as being very difficult to ferment are commercially sold waxy, you know, thick skinned fruits that have been treated. So like an orange that's been sprayed with variety of fungicides and waxes to preserve it. Those are the things that uh, really don't come out fully fermented. Meat does just fine. Is there anything that you can't run through this system? You mentioned the oranges there, but is there anything else that you should avoid? No. And we, we ferment by the 96 gallon roller tote and we often include, you know, pizza boxes and biodegradable takeout containers and things like that. And they, they do just fine also. And you say that this fermentation is taking place in a closed container. And I could see wanting to pull off material and apply it to your garden for fertilization as it becomes available. But for those of us who live in a cold climate with a hard freeze, is this something that we could store over the winter in preparation for the following spring? Yeah, you can. And we, we have a few different suggestions how to do that, uh, depending on your, your food waste stream. Um, small households, because it's fermented, as long as it's kept away from oxygen, it stays in a very static state. So let's say you have a working bakashi bin and you're fermenting every Every two to three weeks, let's say you're producing 20 pounds of food waste. Five-gallon buckets with a lid with no drain, you could just empty the bakashi bin into that and just put it in a cool area of your garage or basement or outside, whatever. Just leave it until the ground is soft. Uh, that's pretty common. Another way, if you form a four-by-four bin from, say, the, the kind of lightweight uh, cattle fencing you can get at Tractor Supply or other, other outdoor stores, big box stores, just form a four by four bin, put it in the corner of your garden. When it's still workable, dig up uh, a few bucketfuls of dirt and then layer your finished bakashi above ground with dirt that you've already made workable by putting it aside. So you just do a lasagna method throughout the winter in an above ground bin just to hold it in a, in a column. And then shortly after it warms up in the spring, the microbes in the soil you've set aside can finish digesting the bakashi and then say three to four weeks after it's warm, you'll have a bin full of soil that you can then add to existing beds or spread around wherever you need it. And how much waste reduction are you seeing? You mentioned starting with 96 gallons, but how much is left over once the bakashi fermentation finishes? Oh, that's a great question. It goes down only as much liquid as you drain from the bottom plus 5%. So in a, in a hot pile, our experience, which is pretty close to the composting council's um, stats, is that we see about a 55% reduction in mass of, of hot composted material, and that includes food waste and the additional carbon. So let's say for 1,000 pounds of food waste, we might add three to 400 pounds of a carbon source. At the end of that, rather than having 1,400 pounds, we would have 
650 or so. Uh, and that's after we've turned it numerous times and added, added a lot of water too. And so the water is also lost. With 1,000 pounds of Akashi, we're draining off significant amount of liquid. So we might drain off 10 gallons of liquid, which is, is 90 pounds, but we're not losing more than 5% of the mass of the food stock. And we're not adding any carbon other than the, the carbon brand that carries the effective microbes, which is, a we say, about one pound for every 20 pounds of food waste. So you really are able to capture a lot of that material and return it and the nutrients to the garden. Yeah, and it's, it's a very dense food source for, for microbes. We feed a lot of it to composting worms. We have a very large worm bin, worm bed that we continue to expand. And what we found when we switched from compost, hot compost to bakashi, was that the, the worms found it a much denser nutrient source. So we might, what we were doing before was hot composting, bring it to temperature for four days so that we could knock down the unwanted uh, microbes, uh, effectively pasteurizing it. The hot, the, the hot pile is effectively pasteurizing the food waste. And that's what, that's what makes it you know, safe for later use is that being at 135 degrees plus for four days is a pasteurization. So we'd bring a pile to temperature. When it had been at temperature for four days, we would take the pre-composted, non-finished hot compost and spread that on our warm bed. And they ate, I mean, a huge volume of it. When we switched to Bakashi, the weight of the bakashi we added was oh, maybe a quarter of the weight of the compost we were adding, but the worms thrived. I mean, they really are doing well. And our feeling is that bakashi is so much denser in nutrients. I mean, it's, it is fermented food. It's not fermented. It's not food that's been cooked with a huge amount of carbon that the worms uh, are just finding more nutrition in a given pound of bakashi versus a pound of compost. And we see the same in our, in our gardens also. Typically, when we form a new bed in our, in our hay field that is now our flower and herb farm, we work on 100-foot lengths. They're 30 inches wide. We'll trench the middle of that when we form the bed the first time, and we'll put in about 1,000 pounds of bakashi on that row, so 10 pounds of bakashi per foot, then cover it with the soil we've removed, let it be digested by the soil for three weeks. Then we plant a cover crop mix into it. And the cover crops then cycle the nutrients into their own plant material. And then we will flip that bed into our commercial rotation. So cut flowers and herbs. And after that initial digging, we're fully no-till. So we prepare the bed fairly aggressively the first time we disturb the soil with the plan of never doing that again. And, and the plants that are in the beds that we prepared with Bakashi followed by cover crops are just so much healthier and more vigorous than the plants that are in beds that we prepared as beds and then brought to health through cover crop rotation and the addition of soil amendments on top of the surface. So compost and other, other uh, amendments. And so as a, as a farmer who is committed to not tilling, having the organic matter in the bed to be incorporated by existing soil microbes is just such a winner for us. And, and on the home scale, the people that we work with in our own vegetable garden behind our house, you know, the effort it takes to dig in, uh, say a standard four gallon Bakashi bin is, is so minimal. It's say 10 minutes to, to dig a two foot square, eight inch deep hole and 
dump your bin in and then cover back up with the soil. You think that's 10 minutes, even 15 minutes every month, say? It's really nothing. And the plants that are growing in that, we can, we can tell the areas we've amended with Bokashi versus the ones that we haven't because, you know, squash vines on that square are just, you know, deeper green, they're more vigorous, there's more squash versus the ones, you know, a foot away that are more susceptible to blights and are more appealing to squash bugs and all of the things that we track for plant health. It just anecdotally, we see on the farm scale and the home scale that it's, it's just such a great way of making soil healthy for plants that were really sold on it. And you mentioned the effective microbe inoculated brand that you're using. Because of the scale that you're operating at, is that something that you can use to create additional batches of brand? Or is this something that you're still buying commercially? That's a, another great question. We work with a mill in Illinois. It's a Janie's Mill, which produces flour from heirloom wheat. And they're just a fantastic operation. They grow a variety of heirloom, non-GMO, traditional wheats, and they mill themselves with a, a stone, stone ground mill. So we, we buy, buy the 1,000-pound sling bag and make batches of brand by the 200-pound increment. I was asked, can you take some finished bakashi from one barrel and add it to the next to kickstart the process? And we don't because the mix of microbes go in a cycle. You want lactobacillus to dominate early and you want the yeasts and fungi to dominate late. And the finished fermented product is really expressing those later microbes and not the lactobacillus. So I'm hesitant to suggest that. Bran is is the only input once you have a, a, a bin that's suitable for making makashi. And it's, say, a pound for every 20 pounds of food waste um, buying commercially, it's it's maybe $12 a month per household if they're doing two four-gallon bakashi bins a month. And it seems, it seems worth it to me to have the complete set of microbes on the brand that you're inoculating with rather than try to reuse the finished product and, and risk missing out on those early microbes. That said, households are perfectly capable of making their own brand as long as they can find a, a, a brand that they like. Uh, the microbes, it's a trademarked set of microbes that are available commercially online in liquid form. So I think maybe three cups of effective microbes is a liquid plus a few cups of a sugar source for them, typically blackstrap molasses, is all you need to make 200 pounds of brand. So even a pint of this is enough for, say, 50 pounds of brand, which will last a household you know, most of the year. So if, if people really don't want to buy it, it is something that's within reach of everybody. When we started off experimenting ourselves, we were making 20 or 25 pound brand mixes in a black contractor garbage bag uh, and just putting it tied tight in the corner of the kitchen. So there's nothing outside the reach of people for making their own brand. It's a really, it's a really accessible process. And you've shared with us many of the advantages of Bokashi as a composting system, but are there any places of concern or potential pitfalls that someone new to this process should be aware of? The sticking point, we're so, this is just me speaking, I think as a society, we're so accustomed to having like a magic waste stream that just whisks everything away. And 
the backyard tumblers, the aerobic tumblers have kind of been sold as akin to a magic recycling bin, right? Just put it in the corner of your yard, dump stuff in, don't ever think about it. And, and switching to having your food waste front and center in your kitchen where you're looking at it, not really smelling it so much because it's an airtight container and doesn't have a disagreeable odor, but just asking people to really be aware right, of monitoring their waste stream is just a mental shift that, that some people have found hard to accommodate. Um, we have a lot of people who have switched over to Bakashi around the country, and the, the hurdle seems to be acknowledging the volume of food waste they produce and then just doing the, the management inside. I think people really like, as a society, having a place that they just disappear their food waste. And thinking about food waste as a real resource, think of it as something that you're not disposing of it in a hot pot pile and then a year later remembering it's there and maybe taking a Saturday morning and turning it with a fork and hitting with a hose. You're kind of really embracing the value of this food waste and working with it on an ongoing basis and then choosing, well, where am I amending my soil and, and like actively supporting soil growth? Through, the, through your own waste stream. I think, that, I think that's the shift. And, and we're, we're trying to encourage people to think of this as a, a, a huge resource. I mean, the value of food waste is immense for soil health. And we don't want people to just dump it in the corner of their yard and occasionally put leaves on and, and even more occasionally do a little bit of management. We want people to be constantly cycling this, this value back into their soil. So just getting people over the hurdle of, wait, food waste is in my house? I mean, I think they assume that it's going to be akin to having a five-gallon bucket of rotting food in their kitchen. The reality is, you know, four or five gallons of fermenting food waste is a very, I mean, it's, it's not even, it's not, I can't say it's pleasant because it's not, it's, not, it's, it's, it's a non-presence almost. It's just a, it's a airtight container that is just working away quietly in the corner of your kitchen. But getting people to think of this as, oh, food waste is a huge problem. I need to get it out of my house as quick as possible and have them think, this food waste is a great resource. You know, I'm going to grow ornamentals or vegetables in the warmer months. This is amazing that I have this resource I can transform just by embracing the natural fermenting microbes of my environment and make it suitable for use in my garden. Just that mental shift is the thing that's required. And so many people are really eager just for either a, a magic, you know, curbside collection through the city or private company or, you know, an out of the way corner of the yard that the, you know, disagreeable food is handled in shifting to think of this as a great, an amazing way that they can not just avoid putting food waste in, into the landfill waste stream, but actually truly transform garden soil through their household's food. I think that's the shift that we're we're looking at. And for anyone interested in Bokashi and integrating these ideas into their lives, are there any resources you would recommend? Oh, that's a great question too. It's I'm I'm just so enamored with Bokashi that I, I am constantly surprised that it's not, you know, in everybody's kitchen and yard. But uh, we have some articles on our blog and our website. It's blhfarm.com that give people an overview of the process and a deep dive into what we're doing with Pikachu. There have now been some articles in uh, major newspapers about it. I can think of um, some COVID era articles from New York times. And I think from, from newspapers in Dallas, I think really as soon as people start looking for Bakashi, 
the resources are there. It's just that when you look for composting, you're presented only with aerobic composting as a go-to. And you've shared how we can draw off the liquid to use that as a fertilizer, that we can bury the bokashi in the garden where it will continue to break down and provide additional nutrients. But is there anything else we can do with the liquid or the solids that are produced through this process? There are. We, we talked about what a great food it is for composting worms. We haven't talked about backyard poultry. And the other main use for bokashi other than incorporating into garden soil or feeding the composting worms is as a, a poultry feed. A number of households have adopted bokashi because the benefit to chicken and duck gut health is so immense. For backyard poultry keepers, incorporating bokashi as a food stream seems to really help the, the poultry's digestion of food. I think poultry, uh, domesticated fowl, evolved to eat food waste that was not you know, fresh from the table. It typically was, was aged somewhat. And the, the fermented bokashi uh, really does support fowl and uh, you know, general poultry health in a way that um, a lot of people report is just, just excellent for their, their herd's general health and well-being. So the average kind of suburban home with, uh, with a two to six chickens typically will give them first cut at fermented bokashi. And then uh, if, they, if they have extra, that's when they would look at burying in the soil or, or using with worms. To start at those higher trophic levels in your farm or homestead landscape and work your way down from there. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of uses for it. And we, we look at the hierarchy of, of use of food waste. It's, you know, ideally you're, you're um, not producing a lot of food waste. And then what you are is going to another animal if they can consume it. And then after that, then it's when you look at putting in a hot pile or burying in the soil. And with everything else you've shared with us so far today, is there anything else that we should know about Bokashi or your philosophy when it comes to composting? I do want to highlight that making a functional Bokashi bin at home is about $5. You know, we sell kits that we really like. They're commercially made kits. But to get started, all you need is two five-gallon buckets nested together in one lid. You just drill holes in the bottom of the top one. That is the sieve that lets liquid gather away from the food waste that's, that's fermenting. And then the lid keeps it airtight. Uh, if you have a, a source of bran or you want to make your own bran, other than that, all you need is two nested buckets with holes in the bottom. Rather than having a, a nice integrated spigot, you just lift the top bucket out periodically and then use the leachate in the bottom bucket that's drained through the holes you've drilled on your garden. And so in terms of barrier to entry, when we make home hot bins, we typically make a three bin system that's you know nine feet long, three feet on a side with hardware cloth and the lid. And it's, you know, total outlay, even if you're using scrap lumber is well over $100, often $200, depending on the lumber you're using. Five gallon buckets, they're a couple dollars a piece at any, any big box store. And that can get people into Bakashi for almost no material outlay. And as the total turnaround time from first food scrap to incorporation in soil, worms or chickens is, is just two weeks after the bucket's full, people can start seeing the impact of Bakashi on their immediate garden landscape just almost immediately. Whereas a three bin system or a commercial backyard tumbler, even well-managed is, is gonna be 
we typically say six to eight months. So it's, I feel like it's the most accessible way of making your household's food waste uh, useful for soil health or, or your farm health. And the barrier to entry is just so much lower that I, I think um, it would be my, my, first, my first stop on the home food waste preparation journey. Thank you for everything you shared with us today, Matt, and for joining me for this interview on the Permaculture Podcast. It's really fun to talk to you, Scott. I appreciate it. And that was Matt Arthur. You can find out more about Matt, Bokashi, and the farm at blhfarm.com. If you have some land and are looking to create a niche business in composting, you'll find some details about how Matt and his family make this work on their website, along with a store to purchase Bokashi supplies to help you get started. As I mentioned during the interview, I'm always looking for ways to simplify the process of reducing waste. From what Matt shared with us today, it sounds like Bokashi was designed specifically for the needs of urban and suburban households. This allows us to keep that waste that we generate in our kitchen as nutrients in our local environment and limit the export of useful materials away from where we are to a nebulous somewhere else where we don't have to think about it. Just as learning to cook with whole foods provides us a greater connection to the food we eat and the life that produces our meat or vegetables, processing food waste in and around our home allows us to have an intimate understanding of what we make, what we use, and what we throw away. As we deepen our knowledge, we can rely on biology rather than technology, capture more nutrients, and increase our yields. But those are just my thoughts in the moment. If you have a different lesson, or would like to share your experiences with Bokashi or another form of composting, let me know. Leave a comment in the show notes, or get in touch. Email show at thepermaculturepodcast.com. For Patreon supporters, I've released a short bonus podcast with additional thoughts and information related to this episode, including more details about reducing food waste, composting, and bokashi. You can join the Patreon community and listen to that episode, as well as check out the weekly updates and join in the monthly AMA at patreon.com slash permaculturepodcast. The winners for the giveaway for a copy of Sean Kloss and Coop's Building a Better World in Your Backyard are Lauren Ames, Brad Harris, Nicole Heineman, and Danielle Parsons. The winner for Nigel Palmer's The Regenerative Grower's Guide to Garden Amendments is Catherine Lightfoot. Thank you again to everyone who entered, and as a reminder, I still have copies of the 2021 Permaculture Calendar and the novel 470 by Linda Windrow to give away. Send me an email with the subject of 2021 Calendar or 470 in order to enter either of those. Tuesday, November 17th, Join Karn Olson and I for a free workshop on discerning permaculture niches for your livelihood. Find out more and sign up today at thepermaculturepodcast.com slash niches or by the link in the show notes. Finally, if you'd like to receive a USB drive with a copy of every episode from the first decade of the podcast, you can do so by donating $50 or more to the show, do so online at paypal.me slash permaculturepodcast, or by dropping something in the post. Scott Mann, 210 East Fairfax Street, number 300, Falls Church, Virginia, 22046. Until the next time, spend each day composting what you can while taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.